Uh, if you're an adult and you're looking for a place to sit, there's plenty of seat up here in the toxic waste zone closest to the stage. Uh, yeah, it's, it's always this humorous thing. People are like crammed in the back and then there's like all this seat right here. People are like, I don't want to get spit on. Uh, this isn't one of those sermons. You'll make it through. All right. Um, hey, I just wanted to recognize today is Father's Day. Uh, it is also June 19th. Now, you know, a lot of us aren't familiar with June 19th. Uh, June 19th, uh, 1865, uh, is two months after uh, Robert E. Lee had surrendered in the South. Uh, two months later, uh, the Northern Army arrives in Texas, Galveston, Texas, and declares to the enslaved African Americans in Galveston, Texas, hey, you're now free. June 19th, 1865, and General Granger, he was the general who arrived in Galveston that day, essentially put into effect the Emancipation Proclamation, which had been issued more than two and a half years earlier by Abraham Lincoln. So this is why a lot of African Americans, and now the United States government, has June 19th or Juneteenth uh, as a national holiday to remember that Slavery in the United States was a real thing, and on June 19th, really African Americans for the first time in their history in the United States were actually allowed to be free. So, just want to recognize that's why June 19th is a really big deal. I also want to just recognize on June 19th, one of the things I've been thinking and praying about is like, I think sometimes it's easy to look back and celebrate, and I think we should. But I think we also need to recognize that it's not like everything is okay now today, right? There's still a lot of racism, sexism, discrimination in our world. I was doing, looking at stats this morning, there are still 40 million people enslaved in our world. 71% of those people are women and children. A quarter of the people enslaved in the world today are children. And I was thinking about that, right? I was like, Father's Day, yes! 40 million people enslaved, not okay. And I realized, as I was thinking about this, like, what does it mean for me as a dad? I realized, like, I am not going to probably, very likely, be able to end slavery. But maybe I can be the kind of father Maybe we can be the kind of fathers that invest so much in the next generation that our kids become the kind of people that embody the way of Jesus and the kingdom of God in such a powerful way that they become a force for Jesus in the world to deal with injustice and wrong that is happening. So I just want to say a quick prayer that as dads, we would be those kind of fathers and that our children would be those kind of people that we would really embody the way of Jesus in such a way that God's righteousness and justice and mercy would be alive and well in the world. God, we in this moment just say, help us work through us as fathers, as mothers, as disciples in this place. God, we just ask that you would make us into the kind of people they would bring about kingdom change in this world. That the next generation that we invest in will be so committed to you, so in love with you, 
so enamored by your kingdom that they would fight injustice and wrong and evil in the world in the way that you would, Jesus. God, make us into those people, those fathers, those mothers, those adults, that the next generation would shine brightly for your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, uh, this series, these last three weeks, two weeks, this week is the third, uh, we're trying to focus on what does it look like to live in relationship to the Holy Spirit? And, uh, you know, one of the sort of core assumptions in that is that that's not always great, like, as a sermon, right? Because then I just get to share my take. So one of the things we've been doing is inviting other people up to share their experiences of the Holy Spirit. So you don't just listen to my voice and think, oh, he's the paid professional, right? But, like, all the other people who've had these experiences. So last week we had five different people share their stories, and this week I want to invite up uh, Gary and Mano to share a couple of their stories. So you guys want to come up, give them a round of applause. I think we'll have Gary go first, if that's all right. Gary, do you want it handheld or do you want it on the stand? Hold it. All right. We'll see how it. You got it? Hello. There you go. You're good. <laughs> well, I want to share a couple of incidences with the Holy Spirit that I have had in the past that were very helpful and for me. Um, the first one occurred when I was um, going to MPC, the local junior college, and I came home from school one day. Nobody was in the house, and I was hungry, so I went to the pantry to see what my food choices were, and the best one I could come up with was a box of cornflakes. So I took the cornflakes out and I started to walk and I realized, ah, my brother Daryl had a box of Captain Crunch hidden probably in his room. <laughs> now Captain Crunch at that time was my favorite cereal. <laughs> and um, so I put the cornflakes back and I, you know, we we would always hide our cereals from our siblings so they wouldn't eat it. So um, I said, Daryl probably hid in his closet. I think I can find it. So I went up into his closet and bingo. <laughs> there was a box of Captain Crunch. Um, I was. I think I even started singing the jingle. Sing the song of Captain Crunch. <laughs> Sugar sweet cereal, this good too much. <laughs> Couldn't get away with that now. Um, so I took the box and was walking down the stairs, and all of a sudden, this inaudible voice says, What are you doing? I said, I'm going down to eat a bowl of Captain Crunch. Really? Well, yeah. 
I don't want you to do that because those are not yours. So then I have this power struggle. Am I going to listen to the Holy Spirit's will or my own will? So I took the Captain Crunch back and put it in the closet and went down and ate the cornflakes. <laughs> um, but that simple but important, that time for me was very important because it really helped me to, to see that um, the, the Lordship of Christ was at stake there and that he um, helped me to see that and that it was important for me because it helped me to know that he does make a difference in my life. And that was very important for me. Now, the second incident happened when I was in college at Humboldt State. And during the summer times, I'd worked at Mount Hermon at, at a high school camp. And I met a bunch of Christians from all of, for universities all over the state. And when camp was over, I went back to Humboldt and we were gonna play a football game with our rivals, which was UC Davis. And um, I had met a number of people from UC Davis at the camp. So I went, um, <coughs> A bunch, I got a ride over with some people from my school and met up with the Christians at UC Davis and we had a nice potluck um, dinner and, and then started to walk over to the game. And as we were walking out the door, one of the Christians came and said, hey, take this registration card and you won't have to pay the $1.50 fee. You can get in free. And, you know, they never check, so don't worry about it. So I'm walking over, and in an audible voice again, it says, think about what you're about to do. And so I'm walking over, I said, well, hey, you know, Christian gave it to me, it's, you know, it's getting free, hey, you know, it's okay. Okay, think about it. So I get up to the gate, <coughs> and hand the guy the card. And he says, this has expired. <laughs> I went, oh. <laughs> so I walked back about 15 yards, and then the spirit started, well, not beating me, but, <laughs> but um, he said, you couldn't trust me for a dollar fifty that you were gonna steal from, these, from this <clears throat> university. So I, I asked for forgiveness, and um, I kept the card just as a reminder, and here it is. <laughs> and I kept it, and I, um, just as a kind of a memorial, and I looked at the card, I think the guy was, had felt sorry for me, because the name of the card says, Susan Lindsay.
Now, I had a Michael Jackson afro then. I was clearly, I wasn't Susan Lindsay. <laughs> and she, she's got some of the best cursive handwriting I've ever seen. Anyway, um, I've kept this card as kind of a, a memorial Ebenezer to a time when I, I didn't listen to the spirit. And so it was very helpful now. And, and I wrote it at the back just to remind me of that. Thank you. Do you want to hold it or? Okay. I got it. I'll put it back in there. One more thing. Sorry. If you want to taste some captured crunch, I'll have it. <laughs> Assuming the spirit says it's okay. Yeah. Thanks, Gary. All right. Now, Mano is going to share one of her stories. Hello. Too high? Too high. This is the best I'm going to be able to do. Okay. Is that okay? Thank you. There you go. Hi, everyone. I'm Menno. Um, Gary, thank you for making us laugh. You know, I always think that church should be a joyful place, and um, you made it that, so thank you. Um, my story's not as joyful, but I hope you can find something in it. Um, I'm a little bit nervous, so. <laughs> my daughter, who's an actor, she said to me, don't start until you're ready. So, good advice. So, I, um, I had joined Carmel Prez, which is a church nearby, um, and Laura Harbert, that some of you Wellspringers, former Mayflower people may recognize as Pastor Mike's wife, Laura Harbert. And um, they were at Carmel Prez in 2007, and um, terrific, Mike was my supervisor. Um, but this was before I got on staff there. This was just regular Minot, walks into Carmel Prez, and even though my husband always says, don't sign up for anything, which I'm like, no, I'm going to do it. Um, I walked in in 2007, and they said, we're going to have a women's retreat. And I was like, oh, can I sign up? <laughs> and I did. And um, so as preparations are going on, we had a few meetings, and Laura said, Minot, I think we have a job for you. I was like, oh, great, what is it? She said, would you be the MC and help facilitate the weekend? I was like, oh, okay, I'll do that, sure. Uh, talking's not hard, but you know, it does make me a little nervous, it's very structured and everything, but I agreed, and Laura said, we'll plan this and we'll have it all structured, so um, that was great. One thing about me and my whole life, my whole life has, I've always had conflict with my parents, and so it's hard, if any of you have that, you know that that's always kind of in the back of your mind. And when Tony announced he was going to do the Holy Spirit talk, I, I was like, oh, I, I want to share. And then he kind of moved the date around, and it strikes me that this is Father's Day. So anyway, this is about a father. So um, conflict with my parents is kind of a constant throughout my life. And so we were living in California. My parents are French-Canadian. They live way on the East Coast in Maine, up near Quebec, and my parents are French, and they're, um, they're very, very Roman Catholic. And so during the planning of this retreat, I'm on the phone with my mom, making my dutiful once-a-week phone call, sort of dealing with the barrage of questions. Did you pay your insurance? 
And so she's, so I'm trying to change the subject to something, you know, more neutral, which was a dumb idea on my part. I said, you know, so I told my mom, so we're going to this new church and it's really good. Oh, you go to a church? What, what kind of church? I was like, well, you know, a church where Jesus and God are and it's all good. She goes, no, 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 what kind? Is it Catholic? And I said, no, it's you know, Protestant, and I try to explain to her it's the same God and Jesus. Um, but basically, in my parents' view, anyone who's not Roman Catholic is going to hell, and uh, they can't be trusted, and they are not worshiping Jesus and God, and anybody who's a part of anything other than Roman Catholicism is going down. And so there's great concern on my parents' part for my soul and my family. And my parents are the kind of people like, we are the parents. You are the child. It doesn't matter how old you are, what you've done. It's always this you respect, you respect, you know. So I, um, at the particular time that the, the women's ministry planning is going on, Laura says to me, I think that I'm going to have you share. And I'm like, okay. And one of the, the topics during the weekend was going to be forgiveness. And so um, I had, I was feeling a little awkward about that, but I, I was thinking, okay, and so she said, you know, let's take a look at, at something we could share, and I had just shared with Laura this big phone call with my mom about the, it was always a constant fight about what kind of church I went to, Protestant versus Catholic, always fighting, and so um, I, I, um, one, one more day, I'm talking to my mom, and she's really pressing this. Why are you not going to a Catholic church? Why are you not going? It's not Catholic. It's not Catholic. And I said, I just, you lose your patience. You know, I just kind of blew up at her, and I said, Mom, what does it matter? Like, it's worshiping God. It's worshiping Jesus. It's the same thing. And by the way, you're like 3,000 miles away. What do you care? And just back off. And so she says, if you're not Catholic, I, and she hangs up. And it's always this, you know, it's always tension. So, oh, I was so angry, and I'm not... You know, I, it's a terrible place to be. It's hard to be like, oh, bias and retreat planning, and you're feeling angry inside. You know, you just want to, you want to swear. And you, I want to talk about forgiveness, you know. And so I said to Laura, I said, I don't think I can do this whole, like, forgiveness thing. It's, it's like, I, and that same day where I'm starting to feel like I can't do this, I got a, a voicemail from my dad. And my dad usually doesn't get involved in, you know, he's the, like, Hi, he picks up the phone, hello, hi dad, here's mom. <laughs> you know, he's like that kind of dad, like, he I don't even think my dad actually knows my phone number, like, sometimes I want to challenge him, like, dad, could you call me if you wanted to, or is it, but anyway, so I get this voicemail, and I start to play it, and it is just vitriol. It's like, it's one thing when my mom hangs up on me, because we kind of always go back and forth, but my dad is literally, you know, like, shaking and angry, and he's leaving me this voicemail, so he's pretty committed. He's like, i got to read it, because I'll get... He calls me up, and he's, he's yelling at me. He says, you, breaking your mother's heart, because you'd not be Catholic. You always, you know, you're going to go straight to hell, and you don't even care. You break your mother's heart, and you think, you think you are a priest, but you are a girl, and you cannot handle the Bible. You cannot handle nothing, and you don't know what you're doing, and your mother is so mad at you. And by the way, you forget the one commandment. The very first one, respect your mother and father. And he hangs up the phone. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, first of all, that's not even the first commandment. It's the fifth. First four, all about God. 
fifth one's the one that comes, honor your mother, father, respect, and all the ladies. So anyway, more anger, more mad, which is kind of my championship calling card. And so, you know, as we're getting closer to the retreat, I'm really feeling like I can't do this. I can't be the MC. I can't be all with the pious people and the forgiveness and the all calm and everything. And so I go to Laura and I say, look, about this, you know, I can MC and I can warm up the crowd and I can talk, but I said, I don't know if I can do the forgiveness thing. And she said, well, why not? And I said, well, I can't really stand in front of people and share, like, all this conflict I've had with my parents. And I said, Laura, it's not just one thing. It's, like, over and over. It's, like, constant. It's, like, I'll fly all the way from California to Maine, and my parents will be, like, busy and not see me. And then ask my family. I'm sad for three or four days. And it's just this constant conflict. And so I said to her, I, I just, I don't know if I can get up there and share this because what will, what will the ladies think about me? You know, it's, it's shameful. It's like, you're the worst daughter in the whole world. That's why they treat you that way. They don't like you. So I, I, I said to Laura, I said, I don't think I can do this. And she said, what happened? And I told her, and then I told her about the voicemail. And she said, can I listen to it? And I, I said, well... I didn't really want to share it with her because it was worse. And I, I was embarrassed. And so I said, fine. I felt I could trust Laura. So we were right here in PG at her office. And I, I um, put my phone on voicemail. And I listened to it again. You can listen to stuff when you're angry and you make your heart hard. But when somebody you love is being terrible to you, and you have a soft heart, which I think is required for being with Jesus, which I really, really, it's the only thing that I can say for sure that I can count on. And so I looked at Laura, and she was looking at me, and her, her eyes were filled with tears. And she hugged me, and she said that this was the perfect place to start and to share at the women's retreat because... She said lots of families hurt each other, and that's how we can forgive through Jesus. When we draw near to Jesus, we're able to grant forgiveness that we couldn't do on our own. It's supernatural. And so after sharing with her, I went back to my room. Um, and well, so she said, let's do it. And I thought, okay. So I prayed up, and I was as nervous as I was, but I felt like Laura helped me see that something good could come of this. So during the sharing forgiveness session, I did it, and it was amazing, and uh, it felt very free, and it was very, just a good thing. And I was surprised at how this was so healing. And so I went back to my room, and I was, you know, I get pretty excited when, you know, when you meet God someplace, I'm sorry, but that's the best place you could ever be. So I Went back to my room, skipping, happy, woohoo! And I was thinking, yes, you know, like we did it. We we and I was journaling in my journal, and I was writing and doing a little praying. And as I pulled out my journal, and I started to thank God and praise Him for being there through this whole experience and saying how great He is. And you know, it's not like I had a great big apology from my mom or my dad, but sometimes you have to grant forgiveness one-sided. 
And that's what that showed me at that women's retreat is that no one was going to judge me for being in conflict with people that I couldn't find a way to the other side with, you know? And I love my parents. We're, they're still alive. We're still working on it. But um, in that moment, as I was dialoguing with God and I was just writing, thank you, God, for being there, for helping me do this, um, very clearly and distinctly, I heard the Holy Spirit say, it does feel good to be free and with other believers and to share, doesn't it? He said, you can have this and many more things like this, but did you notice in this work there's no fear, there's no doubt, and there's no pride? If you keep these in mind, you'll be able to do more work in my name. I was floored that God would take the time to give me this retreat, Laura Harbert, and himself, you know, I was afraid to let people in to see what my interior world looked like. I mean, and then last week hearing other people share, you know, big things, little things, huge mountainous hard things. You know, God really is in real time here. And that's, I was thinking about sharing this with you this morning, and I was thinking at my breakfast table that, you know that scripture, perfect love drives out fear. You know, it's in like one John something, because that's what love does. And God wants to free us, just like he freed me from this. And while the conflict with my parents still exists, I have a different perspective on it. Now I try to always, you know, love and forgive over and over and over and over. And um, God has met me there. So I hope that this blesses you in some way and that Perfect love does drive out fear, so yay, Holy Spirit. <laughs> Thanks, Mara. Uh, when I was growing up in our house, in my dad's, uh, we had this room upstairs. In this room, we had, oh, just by the way, there's plenty of seating up here if you want to sit. You don't have to... I described it as the toxic waste zone, but really it is safe. There's like lots of seats. So if you want to stand, feel free. If you want to come up, you're welcome. Uh, growing up, we had a, um, a room upstairs. And this room had white couches and was this austere room that you never went in. Did anyone else have a room like this growing up? Yeah, so we had the room that you sort of just looked at until you wanted to impress people and have them come over, you know, and then they'd go into, thanks for taking the risk, it is safe. Uh, <laughs> and I think often we approach the Holy Spirit kind of like our family approached this room. It's like a theological doctrine you have in your mind, but a person with whom you don't really relate much. When in fact, Jesus says quite clearly the Spirit was sent not for looks, but for relationship. To be our comforter, to be our helper, to be our teacher. What I want to do this morning is look at some of Jesus' last words uh, before He is arrested and crucified and resurrected. Uh, in John, and this is Jesus' last words uh, before the Last Supper in chapters 14 to 16. It's kind of an interesting 
section of text for a few reasons. One, Jesus isn't like publicly teaching a large crowd. He's not defending against the Pharisees. This is his small, intimate band, and he's trying to tell them, hey, this is what's most important before I go. Now, I want to highlight three mentions that Jesus has in this section about the Holy Spirit. Reference number one. This is Jesus in verse 14, 16, and 17. He says this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells in you and will be with you. All right, so just appreciate context for a second. Uh, Jesus is literally about to leave, and I think the disciples are wondering, like, who is going to guide us now? I mean, go into their shoes for one second. They've literally been following this guy on his heels for three years. Jesus going this way, I'm going that way. Jesus going this way, I'm going, you know, like three years. And now he's like, see ya. Who do we follow now? Notice what Jesus says. He will give you, the Father will give you another helper. Not a helper, not the only helper, another one. And what Jesus is saying is, just as I helped you for the last three years, so the Spirit is going to help you when I go. And Jesus did it for three years. The Holy Spirit, Jesus says, is going to be here forever as your helper. Imagine that relief. Oh, okay, I don't just have to like make it up now. You have a helper, a comforter who's going to be with you. In both cases, God sends God to help and guide and comfort. Two, Jesus calls the Spirit the helper in Greek. This is the parakalitos. But the thing that's cool about this word is actually how multifaceted it is. So we hear it translated here, right, as helper. Uh, but actually, it can be used a lot of ways. It can be described as comforter. When you're down and out, the Spirit is the one who comforts us. When we're sad, we're lonely, we're anxious, we're afraid, the Spirit is the comforter. Spirit's the helper, right? Sometimes you don't just need comfort. Sometimes you need help. You're beat up on the side of the road. You're not sure what to do. You don't need someone to give you a hug. You need someone to take you to the hospital. The word can also mean encourager. Right? Sometimes we need not help, but we need someone to encourage us, to help us realize we can do it ourselves, like a cheerleader, a fan, a coach, an empowerer. Parakalidos, this word, can also mean like a mediator in a legal sense, right? Someone who comes to your defense. You need an advocate or someone to defend you, right? The parakalidos can mean all of these things, comforter, helper, encourager, mediator. This is a story I haven't shared on a Sunday. Um, when I was in... Uh, I think I don't remember what year of college. I worked for a consulting company over a summer in Greece. And uh, towards the end of that time, I was able to spend some time just kind of hanging out on the coast of Turkey. 
And so I was, I think I took, had a couple weeks and I just hung out on the coast of Turkey and would kind of hop from village to village. And if you've ever read, read any of the Narnia books, anyone ever read, of that, read those? Have you ever heard of a Turkish delight? Like they're real things. Uh, so I was actually, I did this trade uh, with this owner of a Turkish delight shop in this village on the coast of Turkey. I was like, how about this? I'll work with you for a couple hours a day if you can give me all the Turkish delights I can ever eat. Person's like, done. So I was stuffing my face with Turkish delights, helping around the, the shop. And um, the hospitality in Turkey was amazing. Like, I had all these amazing friends that I had gotten to know. Uh, but one day, I happened to be in this village, stuffing myself with Turkish delights. And uh, one day, after my, my shift, my gorge session, uh, someone, I left, and someone actually came up 